about the promised Messiah alayhi salam. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad alayhi salam was born in 1835 in Qadian, India. From his early life he dedicated himself to prayer and the study of the Holy Quran and other scriptures. He was deeply pained to observe the plight of Islam which was being attacked from all directions. In order to defend Islam and present its teachings in their pristine purity, he wrote more than 90 books, thousands of letters and participated in many religious debates. He argued that Islam is a living faith which can lead man to establish communion with God to achieve moral and spiritual perfection. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Islam started experiencing divine dreams, visions and revelations at a young age. In 1889, under divine command, he started accepting initiation into the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The divine revelations continued to increase and he was commanded by God to announce that God had appointed him as the reformer of the latter days who was prophesied in various religions under different titles. He claimed to be the very promised Messiah and Mahdi whose advent had been foretold by the Holy Prophet Muhammad The Ahmadiyya Muslim community is now established in more than 200 countries. After his demise in 1908, the institution of Khilafat or successorship was established to succeed him in fulfillment of the prophecies made in the Holy Quran and by the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad Ayyadullah Ta'ala bin Nasir Aziz is the fifth successor to the promised Messiah alayhi salam and the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Forward to the present edition. This is a time when the darkness of materialism has overspread the entire face of the earth and obscured people's vision. Many there are who profess faith but are deprived of its true sweetness and strength. They are unaware of the one living, omnipresent God. For the benefit of seekers after truth, therefore, I present an abridged version of the teaching of the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya movement as laid down in his book gashti e nur literally Noah's Ark which he wrote to save men from the current deluge of irreligion and materialism. This book was intended mainly for the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but Muslims in general have also been addressed in it. The book is a torch of guidance through which every Muslim, nay every man with a craving for truth and spirituality, can rekindle his inner lamp and illuminate his heart. The present abridgment is an English rendering of the Founder's own sacred words and therefore is replete with all the blessings that descend from heaven on the heart of a holy person. Read it and be blessed. A list of words, mostly terms of Islamic theology, is added at the end with a brief explanation which, I hope, will be of some facility to the foreign reader. Mirza Bashir Ahmad, Rabwa, Pakistan, 22nd of September, 1958 Forward to the present edition. Our teaching is the English translation of the book entitled Hamari Talim, compiled by Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Raziyallah Anho. A major portion of this book is a condensed version of the section entitled Teaching in the Urdu book Kashti Anu Noah's Ark by the Promised Messiah Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Islam of Qadian, India. In Kashti Anu, the Promised Messiah Islam explained the nature of the prophecy concerning the plague. He declared that whosoever dwelled within the four walls of his home, both in a literal and spiritual sense, would be protected by God from the ravages of the plague. He then proceeded to give the gist of his teachings, so that by adhering to its precepts, people might spiritually enter the four walls of his home 
and save themselves from the disease. Hamari Talim also contains an appendix entitled Ahmadiyya Beliefs. It is extracted from the book Dawatul Amir, Invitation to Ahmadiyyat, by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad Khalifatul Masih II, Razila Anho. This book was written to serve as a statement of beliefs, a rationale of claims, and an invitation on behalf of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Our teaching is addressed primarily to members of the community for their moral and spiritual education. Its contents, however, are so spiritually inspiring that every soul in search of truth and spirituality can derive benefit from it. Since its original publication, our teaching has been translated into various languages of the world and has gone through many editions. We would like to acknowledge the contribution of the following regarding this revised edition. Mirza Usman Ahmad, Ayaz Mahmud Khan, Al-Hajj Munawar Ahmad Sayyid, Nasiruddin Shams, Fozan Mansur Pal, Hassan Khan and Abdul Wahab Mirza. May Allah bless them all and reward them abundantly. Al-Hajj Muniruddin Shams, Additional Wakilu Tasneef, London, 27th of October 2017. Our teaching. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala Rasulihil Kareem. Publisher footnote. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. We praise him and invoke his blessings upon his noble messenger. End of publisher footnote. Excerpts from Kashti Enu. Noah's Ark by Hazrat Mirza Ulam Ahmad, the promised Messiah and Mahdi, alayhi salam. Verbal pledge amounts to nothing unless practiced with full heartfelt resolve. Let it be clear that to affirm the covenant of Beth with the tongue alone amounts to nothing unless it is practiced with full heartfelt resolve. Thus, whosoever fully acts upon my teachings enters that house of mine concerning which God Almighty has promised in his word, Inni o hafizokulla man fiddar. That is, I shall protect everyone who is within the four walls of your home. This should not be taken to mean only such people who dwell in my house made of brick and mortar. Rather, this also refers to all those who follow me completely and dwell in my spiritual home. To follow me, it is necessary for them to believe that they have an omnipotent, self-sustaining God who is the creator of all things and whose attributes are eternal, everlasting and unchangeable. He has no father and no son. He is above suffering, being crucified and killed. He is such that despite being far, he is near, and despite being near, he is far. Despite being one, his manifestations are diverse. For a person who brings about a change in himself, he becomes a new god for him and deals with him by means of a new manifestation. Thus, such a person experiences a change in God according to the change in himself. Yet no change takes place in God, for he is eternally unchangeable and possesses complete perfection. But when a person undergoes a transformation and begins to move towards virtue, God manifests himself to such a person in a new way. At the time of every improved condition that manifests itself in a person, the manifestation of God Almighty's power also reveals itself to a greater extent. He manifests his might in an extraordinary way only when an extraordinary change takes place in a person. This is the root of all extraordinary happenings and miracles. The God so described is the fundamental bedrock of my community. Believe in him and give precedence to him over your own souls. 
and comforts and over all your relationships show sincerity and loyalty in his cause by exhibiting courage in your practice. Worldly people do not prefer him over their means and their kith and kin, but you ought to so that you may be counted in heaven as belonging to his community. It has been the practice of God since the remotest ages to manifest signs of his mercy, but you can partake of it only when nothing separates you from him. His will becomes your will, his desire becomes your desire, and you remain prostrate at his threshold at all times and in all conditions, whether of success or failure, so that he may do whatever he wills. If you do so, then God, who has for so long kept his countenance hidden, will manifest himself in you. Is there anyone from among you who will implement this and seek his pleasure without being dissatisfied by his will and decree? So when you encounter misfortune, you should step forth even more eagerly, for this is the means of your success. Exert all your power to spread the oneness of God on earth. Show mercy to his servants and do not wrong them by your tongue or your hand or by any other means, and strive for the welfare of God's creation. Behave not arrogantly towards anyone, even if he is your subordinate, and revile not anyone, even if he should revile you. Become humble, tolerant, well-intentioned, and compassionate towards God's creation, so that you may be accepted by God. There are many who show meekness, but they are wolves from within. There are many who outwardly appear clean, but from within there are serpents. You, therefore, cannot be accepted by God unless you are the same inside and out. If you are above others, have mercy on the lowly and do not look down upon them. If you are learned, counsel the ignorant and do not degrade them with disdain. If you are wealthy, serve the poor and do not treat them with arrogance and self-conceit. Dread the ways of ruin and always be fearful of God. Adopt righteousness and worship not his creation. Cut asunder from everything to turn to your master. Turn your hearts away from the world and become wholly his. Live for him alone and for his sake hate every impiety and sin, for he is holy. Let every morning bear witness that you have spent the night in righteousness and let every evening bear witness that you have spent the day with the fear of God. Do not fear the curses the world may heap upon you. Be not afraid of the curses of the world, for they shall vanish before your eyes like smoke and cannot turn day into night. Fear instead the curse of God which descends from heaven and uproots its victims in both worlds. You cannot save yourselves with hypocrisy, for your God is he who sees the innermost depth of man. Can you then deceive him? So become straightforward, clean, pure and truthful. If even a particle of darkness is left within you, it will dispel all your light. And if you possess even the slightest arrogance, hypocrisy, self-conceit or sloth, you are not worthy of being accepted. Be careful, lest a few accomplishments delude you into thinking that you have sufficiently fulfilled your purpose. For God desires a complete transformation in your being and he demands from you a death whereafter he should revive you. Hasten to make peace with one another and forgive your brethren their sins. For he who is not inclined to make peace with his brother is wicked and will be cut off because he is the cause of dissension. Part with your ego in every way and do away with mutual grievances. Be humble like the guilty, though truth be on your side, so that you may be forgiven. 
Do not feed your vanity, for those who are bloated cannot enter the gate to which you have been called. How unfortunate is the one who does not believe in that which has come from the mouth of God and which I have set forth. If you desire that God should be pleased with you in heaven, unite with one another as though you were brothers from the same womb. The one who most forgives the transgressions of his brother is the more honorable among you. Unfortunate is the one who is obstinate and does not forgive. Such a person has no part in me. Be very fearful of God's curse, for he is holy and jealous. An evildoer cannot attain nearness to God. One who is arrogant cannot attain nearness to God. A wrongdoer cannot attain nearness to God. He who is unfaithful cannot attain nearness to God. Every such person who is not jealously protective for the sake of God's name cannot attain his nearness. Those who fall upon the world like dogs, ants and vultures and find their comfort in the world cannot attain nearness to God. Every impure eye is far from him. Every impure heart is unaware of him. He who burns for his sake will be delivered from the fire. He who weeps for his sake will laugh. And he who cuts asunder from the world for his sake will find him. Befriend God with a true heart, full sincerity and complete eagerness so that he too may befriend you. Have mercy on your subordinates and your wives and your less fortunate brethren so that you too may be shown mercy in heaven. Become truly his so that he too may become yours. The world is home to a thousand evils, one of which is also the plague. So hold fast to God with sincerity so that he should safeguard you against all calamities. No calamity visits the earth until there is a command from heaven and no affliction is alleviated until mercy descends from heaven. So you would be wise to take hold of the root rather than the branch. You are not prohibited from having recourse to the necessary means and appropriate remedies, but you are forbidden to rely upon them. Ultimately, the will of God will prevail. Complete trust in God, if one has the strength for it, is greater than all else. Those who honor the Qur'an will be honored in heaven. An essential teaching for you is that you should not abandon the Holy Qur'an like a thing forsaken, for therein lies your life. Those who give precedence to the Qur'an over every hadith and every other saying will be given precedence in heaven. Today there is no book on the face of the earth for mankind except for the Qur'an. The sons of Adam have no messenger and intercessor but Muhammad, the chosen one. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Endeavor, therefore, to cultivate true love for this prophet of glory and majesty and do not give precedence to anyone over him so that in heaven you may be counted as those who have attained salvation. Remember, salvation is not something that will be manifested after death. On the contrary, true salvation exhibits its light in this very world. Who is the one who attains salvation? Such a person is he who believes that God is true and that Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the intercessor between God and all his creation and that under the heaven there is no messenger equal in rank to him nor is there any book equal in status to the Qur'an. God did not desire that anyone should remain alive eternally, but this chosen prophet lives forever. To keep him alive forever, God has ordained that his spiritual and law-giving blessings would last until the day of resurrection. Finally, as a continuation of his spiritual blessings, God has sent unto the world the promised Messiah, 
whose advent was essential for the completion of the edifice of Islam. It was necessary that the world should not come to an end until the dispensation of Muhammad had been granted a spiritual messiah as had been endowed to the mosaic dispensation. This is indicated in the verse اِهْدِنَ السِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَكِيمَ سِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ Publisher footnote Guide us in the right path, the path of those on whom thou hast bestowed thy blessings. Surah Al-Fatiha, chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. End of publisher footnote Moses was bestowed a treasure which earlier generations had lost, and Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was bestowed the riches which the dispensation of Moses lost. Now the dispensation of Muhammad has replaced the Mosaic dispensation, but it is thousands of times higher in status. The one sent in the likeness of Moses is greater than Moses, and the one sent in the likeness of the son of Mary is more exalted than the son of Mary. Just as the Messiah, son of Mary, came in the 14th century after Moses, the promised Messiah appeared in the 14th century after the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he appeared at a time when the condition of the Muslims was similar to that of the Jews at the time of the advent of the Messiah, son of Mary. I am that Messiah. God does what he wills. So in these calamitous times, my soul shall intercede only for such a person who sincerely enters my allegiance of birth and wholeheartedly follows me and submerges themselves in obedience to me to the extent that they relinquish their own will. O ye people who consider yourselves members of my community, you will be counted as such in heaven when you truly tread upon the ways of righteousness so offer the five daily prayers in such fear and with such complete attention as though you are actually beholding God Almighty. Sincerely observe your fasts for the sake of God. Let everyone who is liable to pay the zakat do so, and anyone upon whom the hajj has become obligatory and who face no hindrance ought to perform the pilgrimage. Do good in a handsome manner and discard vice with disgust. Bear well in mind that no action of yours, which is empty of righteousness, can reach God. Righteousness is the root of all goodness. No action that is rooted in righteousness will go in vain. It is inevitable that you should also be tried with various forms of anguish and misfortune, just as the faithful before you were tried. Be on your guard, lest you should falter. So long as you have a firm relationship with heaven, the earth can do you no harm. Whenever harm befalls you, it will be from your own hands and not from the hands of your enemy. Even if you lose all honor on earth, God will bestow eternal honor upon you in heaven. So do not forsake him. You will certainly suffer pain and many of your desires will not be fulfilled. But do not lose heart in such situations for your God tries you to see whether you are steadfast in his path or not. If you desire that even the angels should praise you in heaven, then endure beating and remain joyful. Hear abuse and be grateful. Suffer setbacks but do not sever your relationship with God. You are the last community of God. So practice virtue at its best. Any one of you who becomes slothful will be cast out of the community like a foul thing and will die in regret and will be able to do no harm to God. I gladly inform you that your God truly exists, though all are his creation, but he chooses the one who chooses him. 
He comes to the one who goes to him. He bestows honor upon him who honors him. Approach God with sincere hearts and pure tongues, eyes and ears, for he will then accept you. In point of belief, what does God require? What God requires of you in the matter of belief is that God is one and that Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is his prophet and Khatmul Anbiya, the seal of the prophets, and that he is the greatest of them all. After him there is no prophet except one who is cloaked in the mantle of Muhammad by way of reflection. For a servant cannot be separated from his master, nor is a branch separable from its root. Know for certain that Jesus, son of Mary, has died. His grave is in Muhalla, Kanyar, Srinagar, Kashmir. God Almighty himself has spoken of his demise in his beloved book. I do not deny the greatness of Jesus, peace be upon him, despite the fact that I have been informed by God that the Messiah of Muhammad wasallam, occupies a higher status than the Messiah of Moses, Nevertheless, I hold the Messiah, son of Mary, in high esteem, inasmuch as I am spiritually the Khatmul Khulafa, the seal of the Caliphs in Islam, just as the Messiah, son of Mary, was the Khatmul Khulafa of the Israelite dispensation. The son of Mary was the promised Messiah of the Mosaic dispensation, and I am the promised Messiah of the dispensation of Muhammad, so I honor greatly the one whose name I bear. Anyone who asserts that I do not revere the Messiah, son of Mary, is mischievous and a liar. Who belongs to my community and who does not? I repeat that you should not be content with having made a superficial covenant of birth, for this amounts to nothing. God looks at your hearts and will deal with you accordingly. Look here, I discharge the obligation of conveying my message by telling you that sin is a poison, do not consume it. Disobedience to God is a filthy death. Safeguard yourselves against it. Supplicate so that you may be granted strength. He who, at the time of supplication, does not believe that God has power over all things, except that which might be contrary to his promise, is not of my community. Whosoever does not give up lying and deceit is not of my community. Whosoever is consumed by material greed and does not lift his eyes to look at the hereafter is not of my community. Whosoever does not truly give precedence to religion over the world is not of my community. Whosoever does not repent of every vice and every evil deed, such as drunkenness, gambling, lustful glances, deceit, bribery, and every misappropriation is not of my community. Whosoever does not fully observe the five daily prayers, is not of my community. Whosoever is not constant in supplication and does not remember God with humility, is not of my community. Whosoever does not discard the company of an evil one who influences him towards vice, is not of my community. Whosoever does not honor his parents and does not obey them in all matters that are not contrary to the Qur'an and is careless in serving them diligently is not of my community. Whosoever does not treat his wife and her relatives with gentleness and benevolence is not of my community. He who refrains from doing even the least bit of good to his neighbor is not of my community. He who does not desire to forgive an offender and harbors rancor is not of my community. Every husband who deceives his wife and every wife who deceives her husband is not of my community. 
whosoever breaks the covenant of birth in any respect is not of my community. He who does not truly believe in me as the promised Messiah and awaited Mahdi is not of my community. Whosoever is unwilling to obey me in all that is ma'roof, good, is not of my community. Whosoever associates with my opponents and endorses what they say is not of my community. Every adulterer, transgressor, drunkard, murderer, thief, gambler, deceiver, bribe-taker, usurper, tyrant, liar, forger, and those who sit amongst them, and everyone who slanders his brothers or sisters and does not repent of his foul deeds and does not abstain from evil company is not of my community. All these are poisons. You cannot consume this poison and survive. Light and darkness cannot exist together. Everyone who possesses a crooked disposition and is not straightforward with God can never achieve the blessing that is bestowed on the pure-hearted. How fortunate are those who cleanse their hearts and purify them of every impurity and swear an oath of loyalty to their God, for they will never be destroyed. It is not possible that God should humiliate them, for they are God's and God is theirs. They will be safeguarded at the time of every calamity. Foolish is the enemy who moves against them, for they are in the lap of God and enjoy his support. Who is it that believes in God? Only those who are such as we have just described. Similarly, foolish is he who is inclined towards a fearless sinner or one who is evil-minded and vicious, for he will destroy himself. Ever since God has created the heaven and earth, it has never happened that he should have ruined or destroyed or obliterated the righteous. On the contrary, he has always shown wonders in their favor and will also show them now. Our God possesses great and wonderful powers. God is the most faithful and he manifests wondrous works for those who are loyal to him. The world desires to devour them and every enemy grinds their teeth at them, but he who is their friend delivers them from every place of danger and bestows victory upon them in every field. How fortunate is the person who never lets go the mantle of God. We have believed in him and we have recognized him, the God of the whole world is he who has sent down his revelation to me, who has shown mighty signs in my support, and who has sent me as the promised Messiah in this age. There is no God beside him, neither in heaven nor on earth. He who does not believe in him is bereft of all good fortune and is ensnared in disgrace. The revelation that I have received from God is as bright as the sun, I have seen that he alone is the Lord of the world and that there is none other than him. Truly omnipotent and all-sustaining is the God whom we have found. How great are his powers of him whom we have witnessed. The truth is that nothing is beyond him except that which is contrary to his book and his promise. So when you pray, do not be like ignorant naturalists who have in their own fancy devised a natural law which does not bear the seal of God's book. They are the rejected, and their prayers will not be accepted. They are blind, not of those who see. They are dead, not of those who are alive. They present to God their self-devised law, and presume to limit his infinite powers, and deem him weak. So they shall be dealt with according to their condition.
When you stand up in prayer, it is necessary for you to have firm faith that your God has power over all things. Only then will your prayer be accepted and you will behold the wonders of God's power that we have beheld. Our testimony is based on observation and not on hearsay. How should the supplication of a person be accepted and how should he have the courage to pray at times of great difficulty when according to him he is opposed by the law of nature unless he believes that God has power over everything? O fortunate ones, follow not these practices. Your God is one who holds aloft innumerable stars without the use of columns and who has created heaven and earth from nothing. Then would you think so ill of him as to imagine that your objective is beyond his power? Such ill thinking will frustrate you. Our God possesses countless wonders, but they are visible only to those who become his out of sincerity and loyalty. He does not disclose his wonders to those who do not believe in his power and who are not sincere and loyal to him. How unfortunate is the man who even now is unaware that there is a God who has power over all things. Our paradise lies in our God. Our highest delight is in our God, for we have seen him and found every beauty in him. This wealth is worth procuring, though one might have to lay down one's life to procure it. This ruby is worth purchasing, though one may have to lose oneself to acquire it. O ye who are deprived, hasten to this fountain, as it will satiate you. It is this fountain of life that will save you. What am I to do? How shall I impress the hearts with this good news? What sort of a drum am I to beat in the streets in order to make the announcement that this is your God, so that people might hear? What remedy shall I apply to the ears of the people, so that they should listen? God is the central beam of all our plans. If you become one with God, Rest assured that God too will be yours. God Almighty shall remain awake for you as you sleep. God shall watch over your enemy and frustrate their designs while you are unmindful of him. You still do not know the extent of God's powers. Had you known, not a single day would you have grieved over the world. Does he who owns a treasure weep, cry and become sorrowful unto death over the loss of a single coin? Had you been aware of this treasure and knew that at every time of need God is able to fulfill your requirements, why would you look to the world so restlessly? God is a precious treasure. Appreciate him accordingly, for he is your helper at every step. You are nothing without him, nor do your resources and your schemes amount to anything. Do not follow other people, for they have become wholly reliant on material means. Just as a snake devours dirt... They consume the filth of inferior worldly means. They gorge themselves and carry on in the manner of vultures and dogs. They have become estranged from God. They have worshipped men, devoured the flesh of swine, and consumed wine as though it were water. They have become lifeless, for they place all their reliance on material resources and do not seek the help of God. The heavenly soul has escaped their bodies as a pigeon flies from its nest. They are afflicted with the leprosy of material worship which has consumed their internal organs. Thus, beware of this leprosy. I do not forbid you to employ material means within moderation, only that you do not become slaves to them like other nations, and that you do not forget the God who is the very provider of these means. Had you possessed insight, you would have seen that God is everything and all else is nothing. One cannot so much as stretch or fold one's arms without his will. 
one who is spiritually dead may laugh at this, but physical death would have been better for him than such ridicule. Beware, do not ape other nations. Beware, though other nations have progressed far in their worldly designs, do not envy them and seek to follow in their footsteps. Listen and know well that they are wholly unaware and unmindful of the God who calls you to himself. What is their God? Only a helpless mortal. Thus they are languishing in heedlessness. I do not forbid you from the trade and business of the world. Rather, I exhort you not to imitate those who have considered the world to be everything. In all that you do, whether material or religious, continue to supplicate God so that you may be granted strength and ability. Your supplications should not be confined to mere lip service. But you ought to truly believe that every blessing descends from heaven. You will become righteous only when, in every time of need or difficulty, prior to employing any plan, you shut your door and fall down at the threshold of God with your difficulty and supplicate to him so that he may resolve it by his grace. You will then be helped by the Holy Spirit and a path will be opened for you from the unseen. Have mercy on your souls and do not follow those who have completely cut themselves off from God and depend wholly on material means to the extent that they do not even seek strength from God by saying Inshallah, publish a footnote, if Allah so wills. End of publish a footnote. May God open your eyes so that you should realize that he is the central beam of all your plans. If this beam should fall, can the rafters continue to support the roof? Indeed not, for they would suddenly fall and would perhaps even cause a loss of life. In the same way, your plans cannot succeed without the help of God. If you do not seek his assistance and do not make it your rule to seek strength from him, you will never achieve anything and you will die in immense sorrow. Do not wonder why other nations seem to succeed, while they are not even aware of the existence of God who is your perfect and mighty Lord. The answer is that they have been subjected to the trial of the world on account of their abandoning God. At times he opens the doors of the world to a person who forsakes him and seeks the joys and pleasures of the world and runs after its riches in order to try him. Such a one is wholly bereft and deprived in respect of religion. In the end he dies with his mind devoted wholly to the world and is cast into an eternal hell. At other times the trial of God is such that a person is deprived of this world as well. But this latter kind of trial is not as dangerous as the former, for the one who is subjected to the former is more arrogant. In any case, both these groups are described as those who have incurred the wrath of God. God is the fountainhead of true prosperity. How can people attain true prosperity if they are unaware of the ever-living and all-sustaining God and are ignorant and heedless of him? and even turn away from him. Blessed is one who understands this secret, and ruined is one who does not. Similarly, do not follow the philosophers of this world, and do not be overawed by them, for they only pursue follies. True philosophy is that which God has taught you in his word. Those who are in love with secular philosophy are in ruin, and truly successful are those who have sought true knowledge and philosophy in the book of God. Why do you follow the paths of foolishness? Will you teach God that which he does not know? Do you hasten to follow the blind so that they should guide you? O oh, foolish ones, how will he, who is himself blind, guide you? True philosophy is, in reality, acquired through the Holy Spirit as has been promised. 
Through it, you will be carried to the acquisition of pure knowledge to which others have no access. Ultimately, you will obtain such knowledge by sincerely seeking it. Then you will come to know that this is the very knowledge which revitalizes and revives the heart and guides you to the pinnacle of certainty. How is it possible to receive pure nourishment from he who feeds upon carrion? How can he who is blind help you to see? All pure wisdom descends from heaven. What then do you seek from the people of this world? Those whose souls ascend to heaven are the true heirs of wisdom. He who is not satisfied himself cannot bestow satisfaction upon you, but first purity of heart is required. Sincerity and purity are needed, after which everything will be bestowed upon you. The door of revelation is open even now. Do not think that God's revelation is a thing of the past and that the Holy Spirit can no longer descend as it did so in previous times. I tell you truthfully that all doors may close, but the one from which the Holy Spirit descends never shuts. Open the doors of your heart so that the Holy Spirit may enter it. By closing the window from which the rays of light enters, you distance yourself from this sun of your own accord. Unenlightened ones, come forth and open this window so that the sun might itself enter you. God has not closed the paths of his worldly blessings in this age. Rather, he has increased them. Do you then think that the paths of the blessings of heaven which you sorely need at this time have been closed by him? Most certainly not. Rather, this door is wide open. In Surah Fatiha, God has taught that the door to every single blessing of the past has been opened for you. Why then do you refuse to accept them? Thirst for this fountain and water will spring forth itself. Weep for these blessings in the way a child wails for the milk of its mother. Then will milk be given to you. Become worthy of compassion so that you may be shown mercy. Be restless so that you may be put to ease. Be ceaseless in your fervent entreaties so that a hand may come to your aid. The path of God is difficult, but it is made easy for those who throw themselves into this deep abyss without fear for their lives. In their hearts they choose fire for themselves and decide to set themselves ablaze for the sake of their beloved. But he who throws himself into this fire for the sake of God will be saved. And he who throws himself into this fire for the sake of their inner self, which incites to evil, are consumed by it. So blessed are those who wage war with their inner selves for the sake of God, and wretched are those who war with God for the sake of their own souls and act against his will. He who ignores the will of God for the sake of his inner self will never enter heaven. Strive hard so that not even a single dot or iota of the Holy Quran may testify against you and cause you to be punished. For even the smallest particle of evil is punishable. Time is short and there is no telling how long one shall live. Make haste, for twilight will soon descend. Consider over and over what you shall present before God, lest it be deemed so inadequate that it is no more than waste, no more than a foul and defiled offering unfit for presentation before the royal court. Number 1. Elevated Position of the Holy Qur'an I have heard that some among you completely reject the Hadith. Those who hold this opinion are grossly mistaken. I have never taught such a doctrine. On the contrary, it is my belief that there are three components which God has bestowed on you for your guidance. First and foremost is the Qur'an, which elaborates on the oneness, glory and greatness of God and resolves disputes between the Jews and Christians. 
For example, it settles the difference and misconception of whether or not Jesus, son of Mary, died an accursed death on the cross and whether he was ever spiritually exalted thereafter, as all other prophets were. Further, the Qur'an forbids the worship of anything besides God, whether man, beast, moon, sun, star, material provisions or one's own ego. So beware and do not take a single step contrary to the teaching of God and the guidance of the Qur'an. I tell you truly that anyone who disregards even a small injunction of the 700 commandments of the Qur'an shuts upon himself the door of salvation. The ways of true and perfect salvation have been opened by the Qur'an and all else is its reflection. Therefore, study the Qur'an with deep contemplation and hold it very dear. Love it more than anything else. God has said to me, Al-Khayru Kulluhu Fil Qur'an Meaning, all good is contained in the Qur'an. This is the truth. Pity those who favor anything besides it. The fountainhead of all your prosperity and salvation lies in the Qur'an. There is no religious need of yours which is not fulfilled by it. On the day of judgment, the Qur'an will confirm or deny your faith. There is no other book beneath heaven besides the Qur'an which can directly guide you. God has been most beneficent towards you in that he has bestowed upon you a book like the Qur'an. I tell you truly that if the book which has been recited to you was recited to the Christians, they would not have perished. If this favor and guidance which has been bestowed upon you had been granted to the Jews in the place of the Torah, some of their sects would not have denied the day of judgment. Therefore appreciate this favor that has been bestowed upon you. It is a most precious favor. It is a great wealth. If the Qur'an had not been revealed, the whole world would have been nothing more than a filthy half-formed lump of flesh. The Qur'an is a book in contrast with which all other guidance amounts to nothing. The Qur'an can purify a person within a week as long as it is followed in letter and spirit. The Qur'an can make you like the prophets so long as you do not flee from it yourself. Which other scripture besides the Qur'an gives hope to its readers from the very outset and teaches the prayer, اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ سِرَاطُ الَّذِينَ أَنْأَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ Publisher footnote, Surah Al-Fatiha, chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. End of publisher footnote. That is, guide us on the path of those blessings which the people of the past were guided on, the prophets, the messengers, the truthful, Siddiqeen, the martyrs, Shohada, and the righteous, Salihin. So take courage and do not reject the invitation of the Qur'an, for it desires to bestow upon you such blessings as were given to those before. In truth, God intends to bless you with greater favor than them. God has made you inherit their spiritual and material wealth. However, no other will be your heir until doomsday dawns. God shall never deprive you of the blessings of revelation and divine inspiration, converse and discourse. He will complete upon you all the blessings he has bestowed on the people of the past. However, I call to witness God and his angels that he who insolently forges a lie against God and falsely claims to be the recipient of divine revelation and wrongly says that he has been blessed with divine discourse will be destroyed. For such a person speaks untruth about his creator and acts deceptively, he demonstrates manifest temerity and impudence. Number 2. 
the explanatory position of the Sunnah. The second means of guidance given to Muslims is the Sunnah, that is, the practical example of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which he demonstrated to elucidate the teachings of the Holy Qur'an. For example, the number of rakats in the five daily prayers are not apparently evident in the Holy Qur'an. How many rakats are to be observed in the morning and how many at other times? However, this has been clarified by the Sunnah. One ought not to be deceived into thinking that the Sunnah and Hadith are one and the same thing. The Hadith were collected after some 100 to 150 years, but the Sunnah existed along with the Holy Qur'an since the very beginning. After the Holy Qur'an, the greatest favour that has been bestowed on the Muslims is the Sunnah. The obligations of God and His Messenger were primarily two. Firstly, God revealed the Qur'an and through the agency of His Word, informed His creation of His will. This was the obligation of God's law. Then, the obligation of the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, was to practically demonstrate the Word of God and thus clearly expound it to the people. In this way, he provided a practical demonstration of this word, and through his sunnah, i.e. his way of practice, the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, resolved matters of intricacy and difficulty. It would be wrong to suggest that such issues were resolved by the Hadith, for Islam had already been established on earth before the Hadith had come into existence. Prior to the compilation of Hadith, did the people not observe prayers? or for that matter, pay the zakat, perform the hajj, or possess knowledge of that which was lawful and forbidden? Number 3. Supportive Position of Hadith Of course, it is true to say that the third means of guidance are the hadith. For many matters relating to Islamic history, morality, and jurisprudence are elaborated on by the hadith. Moreover, the greatest benefit of the Hadith is that they serve the Qur'an and Sunnah. Those who fail to properly honour the Qur'an proclaim that the Hadith are an authority over the Qur'an, just as the Jews claimed in relation to their own traditions. But I declare that the Hadith serve the Holy Qur'an and the Sunnah, and it is obvious that servants only add to the grandeur of their master. The Holy Qur'an is the word of God and the Sunnah is the practice of the Messenger of Allah. The Hadiths are an additional testimony in support of the Sunnah. It is wrong to suggest that the Hadiths are an authority over the Qur'an, God forbid. If there is a judge that sits over the Qur'an, it is the Qur'an itself. The Hadiths which are based somewhat on conjecture can never sit as a judge over the Qur'an. They only serve as supporting testimony. It is the Qur'an and Sunnah which have provided all the necessary guidance, whereas the Hadiths serve only as a supporting testimony. How can the Hadith be a judge over the Qur'an? The Qur'an and Sunnah were imparting guidance in an age when this man-made adjudicator did not even exist. Do not say that the Hadith are an authority over the Qur'an. Rather, consider them a reinforcing testimony to the truth of the Holy Qur'an and Sunnah. Though the Sunnah expounds the purport of the Qur'an and is the path unto which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, guided his companions through his practical example, the term does not refer to those sayings that were recorded in books after approximately 100 to 150 years, for these sayings are referred to as Hadith. 
The Sunnah is the practical example of those pious Muslims which has been a part of their characters since the very beginning and which thousands of Muslims have been taught to follow. Although a large part of the Hadith is based on conjecture, so long as they do not contradict the Qur'an or Sunnah, they are worth accepting. For the Hadith not only support the Qur'an and Sunnah, but are also valuable material on various issues that relate to Islam. Therefore, to disregard the Hadith would be to sever off one of the limbs of Islam. However, if there is a Hadith which contradicts the Qur'an and Sunnah, or contradicts a Hadith which accords with the Qur'an, or if, for example, there is a Hadith which opposes Sahih Bukhari, then such a Hadith is not worthy of acceptance, inasmuch as accepting it demands rejection of the Holy Qur'an and all the Ahadith which accord with the Qur'an. I trust that no righteous person could show such audacity so as to accept a hadith which contradicts the Qur'an, Sunnah and other hadiths which conform with the Qur'an. Nevertheless, one ought to honor the hadiths and derive benefit from them, for they are attributed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Do not reject them unless the Qur'an and Sunnah reject them. Rather, follow the hadith of the Holy Prophet ﷺ so diligently that there should be nothing you do or do not do except that you have a basis for it in the Hadith. But if a Hadith clearly contradicts the accounts given in the Holy Qur'an, one should reflect so that it may be reconciled. Perhaps the apparent incongruity is the fault of your own understanding. However, if the discrepancy cannot be resolved, then discard any such Hadith for it cannot be from the Messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. On the other hand, if there is a weak Hadith, but it conforms to the Qur'an, then accept it, for it stands endorsed by the Qur'an. Criterion for judging a hadith containing a prophecy And if there is a hadith containing a prophecy which is considered inauthentic by experts of hadith, but the prophecy contained in it is fulfilled, either in your lifetime or before, then consider such a hadith to be true and consider the scholars and narrators of the hadith who judged it weak and fabricated as being mistaken or liars. Hundreds of a hadith which contain prophecies are considered doubtful, fabricated or weak by hadith scholars. If any such hadith happens to come true and you refuse to accept it on the grounds that it is weak or one of its narrators lack in piety, you will only establish your own faithlessness for having rejected a hadith which was shown to be truthful by God. Reflect. Should there be a thousand of such hadiths adjudged to be weak in the view of hadith scholars, yet a thousand prophecies contained within them were proven true, would you then declare all these hadiths to be weak, thereby depriving Islam of thousands of its testimonies? Thusly, would you become enemies of Islam? Allah Almighty says, فَلَا يُزْهِرُ عَلَىٰ غَيْبِهِ أَحَدًا إِلَّا مَنْ اِرْتَضَى مِنْ رَسُولُ Publisher footnote He does not grant anyone ascendancy over his domain of the unseen, except him whom he chooses as his messenger. Surah Al-Jinn, chapter 72, verses 27 to 28 End of publisher footnote. Thus, true prophecies can only be attributed to truthful messengers. In such instances, is it not closer to piety to suggest that a Hadith scholar has mistakenly declared an authentic Hadith as weak than to say that God has erroneously authenticated a false one? 
Even if a hadith is deemed inauthentic, it ought to be followed as long as it does not contradict the Qur'an and Sunnah and other ahadith which corroborate the Qur'an. But one should take great care when following the hadith because many of them are fabricated as well and have created discord within Islam. Every sect possesses narrations which are consistent with their own beliefs, so much so that even an institution as firm and well-established as the Islamic prayer has been given various guises because of conflicting accounts found in the hadith. Some recite Amin loudly, while others recite it silently. Some recite Surah Fatiha behind the Imam, while others think that this invalidates the prayer. Some fold their arms over their chests, others fold them over their navel. It is actually from the hadith that these differences emanate. Deliverance from sin lies in perfect conviction. You who are in search of God, pay heed to me and listen. There is nothing like certainty. It is certainty which delivers one from sin. It is certainty which gives you the strength to do good deeds. It is certainty which imbues you with the true love of God. Can you cease from sin without certainty? Can you cease pursuing your selfish desires without witnessing a truly certain manifestation of God? Can you discover peace without certainty? Can you bring about a sincere change without certainty? Can you achieve true prosperity without certainty? Is there beneath the heaven any atonement or expiation which can deliver you from sin? Will the so-called atonement of Jesus, son of Mary, grant deliverance from sin? Followers of Christ utter not such falsehood which brings about utter ruin on earth. Even the salvation of Christ himself was dependent on certainty. He believed with certainty and was therefore granted salvation. Pity the Christians who deceive others by claiming that they have received salvation through the blood of the Messiah, yet they are themselves immersed in sin from head to toe. They know not who their God truly is, and their life is spent in heedlessness. They are lost in the intoxication of alcohol, but are completely unaware of the holy inebriation which comes from heaven. They are deprived of a life of companionship with God, and of the fruits born of a holy life. Remember, without certainty you cannot emerge from a life of darkness, nor can you find the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who possess certainty, for it is they who will come to see God. Blessed are those who rid themselves of doubt and uncertainty, for it is they who shall be delivered of sin. Blessed shall you be when the treasure of certainty is bestowed upon you, for only then will your sin be effaced. Sin and certainty cannot coexist. Would you ever thrust your hand into a pit wherein you see an extremely venomous snake? Would you remain standing near a volcano which rains down stones, or where lightning strikes, or where a ferocious lion attacks, or where a deadly plague goes on ravaging human life? If you are as certain of God as you are of the snake, lightning, lion, or plague, then it would be impossible for you to disobey God and follow a course that leads to his chastisement, nor would you sever from him your ties of sincerity and faithfulness. You who have been called to righteousness and piety know that you will be drawn to God and be cleansed of the vile blemish of sin only when your hearts become replete with certainty. Perhaps some among you may say that you already enjoy certainty, but remember that you only deceive yourselves. 
You do not possess certainty at all because you do not possess its essentials. This is because you are still to estrange yourself from sin. Neither do you progress as you ought to, nor do you fear God in the way you ought to. Reflect for yourselves. How can a person who is certain that a serpent lies in a hole plunge their hand therein? Similarly, he who is certain that his food is poisoned will not partake thereof. In the same manner, a person would never carelessly and heedlessly enter a jungle if he observes with certainty that thousands of bloodthirsty lions prowl within. How can your hands and feet and your ears and your eyes be daring enough to indulge in sin if you truly believe in God and his reward and punishment? Sin cannot overcome certainty. While you perceive a blazing and consuming fire, you would never thrust yourselves into it. The walls of certainty stretch to heaven. They cannot be scaled by Satan. It is only certainty that has ever purified anyone. Certainty strengthens one against suffering to the extent that even kings are able to relinquish their thrones and endure the hardships of poverty. Certainty eases every type of distress. It is certainty which enables one to behold God. All atonement is false and all redemption vain. All purity proceeds from the path of certainty. It is certainty alone that delivers from sin, leads to God and puts a person ahead of even the angels in sincerity and steadfastness. Any religion that does not provide the means for attaining certainty is false. Any religion that cannot exhibit God through certain means is false. Any religion that has nothing to offer except ancient tales is false. Do not be satisfied with fables. God is as he ever was. His powers are as they always were, and he has the ability to show signs as he always had. Why then are you assorged with mere tales? A religion whose miracles and prophecies are consigned to mere fables is dead. Ruined is the community upon which God has not descended and which has not been purified by the hand of God through certainty. Just as human beings are attracted to those delights for which their inner self yearns, so too when people experience spiritual pleasures on account of their certainty, they are pulled towards God, and his beauty enchants them to such extent that everything else appears utterly meaningless. Man can only find sanctuary from sin when he comes to know with certainty of his might, punishment and reward. The root cause of all insolence is ignorance. Anyone who partakes of insight that is certain in nature cannot remain insolent. If a homeowner comes to know that a terrible flood is surging towards him, or if his property is encircled by a fire and only a small opening remains, then such a person would never remain there. How then can you claim to possess certainty in the punishment and reward of God, and yet continue to remain in your terrible state? So open your eyes and look upon the law of God that governs the entire world. Do not behave like rats who are attracted to the depths of darkness. Rather, become soaring pigeons who are drawn to the sky. Do not make a pledge of repentance whilst remaining adamant on sin. Be not like the snake that sheds its skin, yet still remains a snake. Be mindful of death, for it lurks nearby, though you are unmindful of it. Endeavor to purify yourselves, for only those who purify themselves can reach the pure. The way to attain purity is prayer offered in true humility of spirit. 
But how are you to attain this blessing? God has himself provided the answer to this, where he states in the Holy Quran, Meaning that, seek the help of God with patience and prayer. Publisher footnote, Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 46. End of publisher footnote. What is meant by prayer? It is a supplication that is humbly entreated by extolling His holiness, praise and sanctity and seeking His forgiveness and by invoking salutations upon the Holy Prophet. So, when you observe prayer, do not recite Arabic phrases alone like those who are unmindful, for the prayer and forgiveness sought by such persons is nothing more than a superficial demonstration which is devoid of essence. Their prayers are not sustained by any foundations. When you offer your prayer, besides the verses of the Qur'an which are the word of God, and besides the various prayers taught by the Holy Prophet, which are the words of the Messenger, make all your other entreaties in your native tongue, so that the humility and meekness that they are born of may touch your heart. Prayer is the cure for all future tribulations. You know not what divine decree the new day will usher in for you, so before the new day dawns, humble yourselves before your Lord, so that the new day brings for you goodness and blessing. O ye rich and wealthy, fear God. O you the affluent, and O kings, O you who are wealthy, there are but few among you who fear God and are pious in the ways prescribed by him, most of you are devoted to the possessions and territories of this world and spend your entire lives occupied to this end and give not thought to your death. All those wealthy persons who do not observe their prayers and are unmindful of God carry the sins of all their servants and attendants around their necks. All those wealthy persons who consume alcohol also carry the sins of the people who intoxicate themselves under their influence. You who claim to possess understanding, know that this world is not eternal, so take hold of yourselves, eschew all immoderation, and abstain from every type of intoxicant. It is not alcohol alone that ruins a person. Opium, ganja, charas, bung, hemp, and all other addictions are similarly destructive. They ruin the mind and destroy lives. So shun all such substances. I cannot understand why one would choose to indulge in these intoxicants when year on year they claim the lives of thousands of addicts, not to mention the torment of the hereafter. Become righteous so that you may live long and receive the blessings of God. He who remains engrossed in extreme luxury lives an accursed life. He who shows discourtesy or inconsideration lives an accursed life. He who neglects God and is unsympathetic towards his servants, lives an accursed life. A rich person will be held accountable for their duties towards God and their fellow human beings in the same way as will one of meagre means, nay, even more stringently. How unfortunate is the one who places his trust in this short span of life and completely turns away from God and makes use of those things prohibited by God with such impudence as if they were lawful for him. In the likeness of one who is mad, when angered, such a person is prepared to curse, injure, or even kill. In the heat of their lustful passions, they are driven to the extremes of shamelessness. Such a person shall never attain true happiness until death seizes him.
My dear ones, you have only come to this world for a short while, much of which has already passed. Thus do not displease your Lord. An earthly government of great might can annihilate you if you displease them. Reflect how then is it possible for you to escape the wrath of God Almighty. If you are righteous in the eyes of God, none can destroy you, for your Lord himself shall protect you. The enemy who thirsts for your life will never be able to prevail over you. If not for this protection, no one can guard your life, and you will spend your life in fear of your enemies and be made anxious by all types of affliction, and ultimately your final days will be consumed by grief and anger. God becomes the refuge of those who attach themselves to him. Therefore hasten towards him and forego all forms of opposition to him. Do not be indolent in fulfilling your obligations towards him, and do not wrong his servants through your words or deeds. Remain forever fearful of the anger and wrath of heaven, for this is the only path to salvation. O ye learned people of Islam, do not hasten to reject me. O learned ones of Islam, do not hasten to reject me, for there are many secrets which are not so easily understood. Do not reject what I have to say at the very first instance, for this is not the way of righteousness. If you had not been wrong about certain matters or mistaken in your interpretations of certain ahadith, the very advent of the promised Messiah, who is the arbitrator, would have been useless. Further, your doctrines that the Messiah, son of Mary, will descend from heaven, join forces with the Mahdi, and wage war with the people in order to coerce them into becoming Muslims, are such as defame the religion of Islam. Where in the Holy Qur'an is the use of compulsion in religious matters permitted? Rather, Allah the Exalted says in the Holy Qur'an, La ikraha fiddin. This means that there is no compulsion in religion. Publisher footnote. Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 257. End of publisher footnote. How then can the Messiah, son of Mary, be granted liberty to coerce people to such an extent that he would force them to accept Islam? The entire Quran repeatedly states that there is no compulsion in religion and evidently demonstrates that the battles which took place in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, were not to propagate religion by force. Instead, they were one in the nature of retribution, that is to say, they served as a penalty against those who had murdered a large party of Muslims and who had forced others from their homes and committed immensely grave injustices against them. Allah the Exalted says, Publisher footnote, Surah Al-Hajj, chapter 22, verse 40. End of publisher footnote. That is, permission to fight is given to those Muslims who are being subjected to war by the disbelievers because they have been wronged and God has the power to help them. Number two, then there were defensive wars which were fought to preserve freedom of choice or, number three, to establish liberty in the land against those who aggressed to destroy Islam or forcefully suppress its propagation. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and his blessed caliphs, never waged war except in these three cases. 
In fact, the Muslims tolerated the injustices of other peoples to such a degree that no similar example can be found among other nations. So what right will Jesus the Messiah and the Mahdi have to come and begin murdering people? Gaddi Nasheen and Pirzadas of the Country In this country, Gaddi Nasheen, the custodians of shrines, and Pirzadas, the descendants of saints, are so estranged from religion and so deeply engrossed in their self-invented beliefs that they are entirely oblivious of the trials and tribulations that afflict Islam. Instead of the Holy Qur'an and the books of Hadith, their gatherings are enlivened by all sorts of tambourines, violins, drums and kuali singers, etc., which are innovations in the faith. Yet, despite this, they boast of themselves as being guides of the Muslims and followers of the Holy Prophet. Anyone can claim to love God, but only those love Him whose devotion is testified to by heaven. Everyone claims that their religion is true, but only the religion of such a one is true who has bestowed heavenly light in this very life. Everyone claims that they will attain salvation, but only such a person is true in their word who sees the heavenly light of salvation in this very world. My dear people, this is the time for rendering services to the cause of religion. Dear ones, the time has come to serve religion and assist its cause. Prize this opportunity, it shall not come again. Why do you lose heart when you follow such a magnificent prophet? Display such conduct that even the angels in heaven are left astonished at your loyalty and purity and invoke blessings upon you. I now conclude and pray that my teachings prove beneficial for you. May such a transformation take place within you that you become the stars of the earth and that the earth is illumined by the light you have been granted by your Lord. Amen. And again, Amen. Appendix Excerpts from Dawatul Amir, Invitation to Ahmadiyyat by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad Razilanho, Khalifa al Misi II. Ahmadiyya Beliefs Number 1. We believe that God exists and to assert his existence is to assert a most important truth. Number 2. We believe that God is one without an equal in heaven or in earth. Everything else is his creation dependent upon him and his subsistence. He is without son or daughter or father or mother or wife or brother. He is one and unique. Number three, we believe that God is holy, free from all imperfections and possessed of all perfections. There is no imperfection which may be found in him and no perfection which may not be found in him. His power and knowledge are unlimited. He encompasses everything and there is nothing which encompasses him. He is the first, the last, the manifest, the hidden, the creator, the master. He is the loving, the enduring. His actions are willed, not constrained or determined. He rules today as he ruled ever before. His attributes are eternal. We believe that angels are a part of God's creation. As the Quran has it, angels do what they are bidden to do. They have been created in his wisdom to carry out certain duties. Their existence is real and references to them in the holy book are not metaphorical. They depend on God as do all men and all other creatures. 
We believe that God speaks to his chosen servants and reveals to them his purpose. Revelation comes in words. Man lives by revelation and through it comes to have contact with God. The words in which revelation comes are unique in their power and wisdom. Their wisdom may not be revealed at once. A mind may be exhausted, but not the wisdom of revelation. Revelation brings us divine ordinances, laws and exhortations. It also brings us knowledge of the unseen and of important spiritual truths. It conveys to us the approval of God as well as his disapproval and displeasure, his love as well as his warnings. God communicates with man through revelation. The communications vary with circumstances and with the recipients. Of all divine communications, the most perfect, the most complete, the most comprehensive is the Holy Qur'an. The Holy Qur'an is to last forever. It cannot be superseded by any future revelation. Number six, we also believe that when darkness prevails in the world and man sinks deep in sin and evil, it becomes difficult for him to rise again without the help of God. Then, out of his mercy and beneficence, God chooses one of his own loving, loyal servants, charges him with the duty to lead and guide other men. As the Qur'an says, There is no people to whom a warner has not been sent. Chapter 35, verse 25 God has sent messengers to every people. Through them, God has revealed his will and his purpose. Those who turn away from them ruin themselves. Those who turn to them earn the love and pleasure of God. Number seven, we also believe that divine messengers belong to different spiritual ranks and contribute in different degrees to the fulfillment of the ultimate divine design. The greatest of all messengers is the holy prophet Muhammad on whom be the peace and blessings of God. He is the chief of all men, messenger to them all. The revelation he received was addressed to all mankind. The whole of this earth was a mosque for him Time came when his message spread to lands and climes beyond Arabia. People forsook gods of their own conception and began to believe in the one and the only God that the Holy Prophet Muhammad taught them to believe. The coming of the Holy Prophet marked an unparalleled spiritual revolution. Justice began to reign instead of injustice, kindness instead of cruelty. If Moses and Jesus had existed in the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, they would have had to believe in him and to follow him. Number 8. We also believe that God hears our prayers and helps us out of difficulties. He is a living God, his living character being evident in all things at all times. God continues his benevolent interest in his servants and his creatures. When they need his help, he turns to them with his help. If they forget him, he reminds them of himself and of his concern for them. I am near indeed. I answer the prayer of every supplicant when he supplicates to me. Let them therefore hearken unto me, and believe in me, so that they may go aright. Chapter 2, verse 187 of the Holy Qur'an. Number 9. We also believe that from time to time God determines and designs the course of events in special ways. Events of this world are not determined entirely by unchanging laws called the laws of nature. For, besides these ordinary laws, there are special laws through which God manifests himself. It is these special laws which bring to us evidence of the will, the power and the love of God. Too many there are who deny this. They would believe in nothing besides the laws of nature. Yet laws of nature are not all the laws we have. Laws of nature are themselves governed by the wider laws of God. 
Through these laws God helps his chosen servants. Through them he destroys his enemies. Moses could not have triumphed over a cruel and mighty enemy but for the special laws of God. The Holy Prophet Muhammad could not have triumphed over Arabs determined to put an end to him and his mission except for the laws of God which worked on his side. In everything that he encountered, God helped the Holy Prophet. At last, with 10,000 followers, he re-entered the valley of Mecca, out of which 10 years before he had to flee for his life. Laws of nature cannot account for these events. Number 10. We also believe that death is not the end of everything. Man survives death. He has to account for what he does in this life, in life hereafter. The power of God guarantees human survival. Number 11. We believe that unless forgiven out of his infinite mercy, non-believers go to hell. The object of hell is not to give pain to the inmates, but only to reform them. In hell, non-believers and enemies of God spend their days in wail and woe, and continue so until the mercy of God encompasses the evildoers and their evil. Truly did the Holy Prophet say, a time will come when hell will be emptied of all sinners. Tafsir al-Ma'alimut Tanzil Number 12. Similarly, we believe that those who believe in God and the prophets, the angels and the books, who accept the guidance which comes from God and walk in humility and abjure ex- and walk in humility and abjure excesses of all kinds will all go to a place called heaven. Peace and pleasure will reign here and God will be present to all. Low desires will disappear. Men will have attained everlasting life and become an image of their creator. These being our beliefs, one may begin to wonder why the ulama of Islam are so violently against us. Why should we be branded as kafirs?